HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Schwarzenegger, CEO of MOSH, the brand on a mission to educate consumers about brain health. Patrick's mom, Maria, came to him with the idea in 2019, and given his experience investing and advising CPG brands, including Super Coffee, Liquid IV, Crave Jerky, Chubby Snacks, and Nugs, Patrick was ready for the challenge. He balances his time building MOSH and supporting other founders, advocating for Alzheimer's awareness and research, and acting. Mosh is currently available online. My son just subscribed, by the way. And I'm assuming, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'm assuming in retail soon, but we'll get to that. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. No, it's funny. Just before we get into the questions, so my son's in law school And he's like, he takes these really long exams and he's in these things and he's like, I need something that ties me over, but it can't be like too crunchy and it can't make too much noise. And he was like, (laughs) I I got him for him like a while ago. And he's like, this is perfect. So now he's subscribed. He's good to go. And his brain will be very healthy. There you Um, go. This podcast was worth it. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, plus you're protecting yourself for, you know, a long, healthy life. So all good. Um, So, like I said in the introduction, you've been angel investing for a few years. Um, You know, then, I mean, I think it's an adorable story. I don't think I've actually ever had anyone who's done this with his mom on the pod before. Mm -hmm. But I guess before we get into sort of you deciding to, like, take the leap off of the mountain into actually founding the company, what were some sort of big picture thoughts that you had that worked and that didn't work? Like, what have you seen 
throughout sort of your investing time where you're like, I have a feeling this is going to be a winner or mm, they're missing some secret sauce there? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think, um, like you mentioned in the beginning, I've been investing in these kind of better for you, health and wellness, CPG, uh, food and beverage companies for 12 plus years now. I really, I started doing this out of just being a struggling consumer. I was a junior in high school. I started to get into working out and I started to care about what I was eating and putting into my body. And I started to learn more about ingredients and nutritional fact panels and what was in the products that I was currently eating. And mm -hmm. I remember I used to drink these kind of Odwalla or naked protein shakes after yeah. my workouts. And I realized that the two servings in the bottle I had in it had 68 grams of sugar in it. And I was just like, holy shit, this is insane. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started to go out and try to go to the grocery store and look at, you know, what were the healthier versions of what was out there. And really, I just struggled to find a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and so I just said, you know what, I'm going to go out and try to find other entrepreneurs that are tackling this this space and invest in them. And, and that was pretty much my thesis. I knew nothing um, kind of about the right. food and beverage space. I knew nothing about CPG, but um, that's how I started. I came across this one guy that was starting a company called Blaze Pizza that was positioned kind of as the Chipotle for pizza, mm -hmm. um, kind of a, a healthier pizza, allowing customers to see their ingredients, to see their uh, pizza be made right in front of them, um, transparency on the ingredient sourcing and stuff of that nature. And so I, I gave him money. I was like, this is genius. I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it really was. I mean, the company grew from, that was pre-revenue, grew to almost 400 stores, the fastest growing, fast casual restaurant in, in all of North America. And, um, and, I, and I, I bring this up because it was a home run on the investment side, but really it was where I got to learn a lot about business. Right. And furthermore, I franchised a couple of stores myself and I got to see from a macro side, mm -hmm customers shifting. They no longer wanted just our normal water or sparklets water. They wanted this essential water. They wanted smart water. They didn't mm -hmm. want just the normal bread. They wanted gluten-free. They wanted keto crust. They mm -hmm. wanted uh, alternative meats. They wanted so really when I started to see that from a macro side, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to sell out of Blaze. I'm going to take all this money and I'm just going to go and find the healthier alternative in a large addressable marketplace. And that was it. It was that simple. So liquid IV is the low sugar Gatorade. Yeah. Um, Super Coffee is the low sugar Starbucks Frappuccino. Olipop and Poppy are the low sugar sodas. Right. Uh, you know, Better Bagels, the low carb bread. Emmy's uh, yep. the low carb ramen. So on and so forth. You get yeah. the picture. And so it was less about, you know, are there, um, you know, companies that are missing something or do they have something? It was more about this grand thesis right. of I want to invest in this space. And then ultimately, yeah, it's about finding the right entrepreneur and the right mission and the right product and so on and so forth. But that was my macro yeah. trend that I was looking for. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's actually really simple. These big categories that haven't seen that healthy innovation and you find the one that you want to make your bet on. Yeah. Over those you know, 10, 12, 15 years, my guess is that you've taken some notes about operations and sales and marketing. And my guess is that now, as you're sort of starting something from scratch, those notes are influencing the way that you're making decisions, I would think. Yeah, um, you're, 
You're right. Yeah. I mean, they, they do to a degree, but as you know, every year things are changing. I mean, from when totally. we were 10 years ago, when we started Blaze Pizza, that was like retail, 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 retail. How do we open as many stores as possible? Uh, then it was like, okay, how do we get with our other companies? It was like, how do we get our products into as many retail stores? Mm -hmm. Then the last five years has been like, okay, how do we utilize direct to consumer and online marketplaces and Shopify and Amazon to, um, you know, get as much feedback from consumers and own the data and to really utilize subscription. Then with COVID, you know, it was like, okay, we can't do retail. Now we have to all go to direct to consumer. So, (laughs) I mean, yes, I've learned as much as I can, but nothing prepares you for what is going to come. Which, by the way, is what makes you a really good investor. Because the worst for a lot of us is when, you know, investors have had some operating experience. They think that, like, their way is the way up the mountain. And it's there's some explaining when it's like, no, that worked three years ago. It's not exactly the way it is now. So I, I would, right. I, you are not my investor, but I would venture a guess that um, that's, that is part of what makes you appealing. Um, so let's talk about the conversation with your mom. Yep. Um, my guess is it wasn't just like, hey, we should start a company. My guess is that there was like some discussion going on for a while. What, you know, what was she saying to you? You took a minute, I think, to say like, yeah, let's do this. Um, tell me about like the kitchen table. You guys are sitting there. Yeah, she yeah. She says, Patrick. So this, this uh, I think you give a little background on my mom. I mean, her father passed away from Alzheimer's. She's been involved in the brain health um, research education space, the Alzheimer's awareness research space for 20 years now. Yeah. Um, she goes around and does, you know, talks about it. She's testified in front of Congress. She's made a movie about Alzheimer's um, where Julianne Moore won the Oscar. She's done documentaries. She's done uh, books called what's what's wrong with grandpa mm. um, so many different things to spread awareness her dream uh, within the last couple of years kind of through the education part they realized that food is one of the largest pillars that that impacts a brain health whether that's in a, a positive or a negative way I mean mm-hmm. sugar being one of the biggest culprits towards a degenerative brain health um, so she's always had this idea oh I wish I wish I could go after like boost and insure and create mm-hmm. multiple different products that can speak towards brain and body health. And um, I set her up on a couple of meetings with some kind of bigger conglomerates in the food and beverage space. Uh, and they just weren't interested. They didn't mm-hmm. think that brain was kind of top of, of mind for people. Um, they didn't think people really cared about their brain health yet. Um, and they didn't really want to go after consumers that were my mom's age. They were really trying right. to address millenn- millennials and and uh, kind of the younger demographic per se. I want to just interrupt you on that for one second, because I, being a 51-year-old woman, I was very excited to read a little bit of data that 88% of household decisions are made by women over 40. And yet basically we are portrayed in the media as like, (laughs) like, basically completely just, you know, kind of on the way out to pasture. Like it is, yes. it is not, it, we are not targeted well enough. I think by the way, Bobby and Jones road does a really good job targeting like, older women. And that's part of their success. It's very sort of subliminal, but it definitely works. Um, yeah. Anyway, my mom likes yeah. to say that she's kind of, she feels like her age range is the invisible woman that they 100%. don't get marketed towards. 
And so she really was like, um, you know, kind of frustrated with that. And that's when when COVID happened, I moved back home with my mom. And uh, I mean, my film career got fully put on hold until the following year when I filmed The Staircase for HBO. But that whole year before it was on hold. And I just I was living with her and I said, you know what, why don't we just create this company? I mean, I know enough about the CPG and Better For You Health and Wellness space. I have a lot of contacts in manufacturing and Mm -hmm. R&D and branding and website building. And I know a lot of information about just like paid media and the direct consumer landscape and Amazon and Shopify. Yeah. Let me let me get this off the ground for you and get it running. And let's see if you have a proof of concept. And then we can just kind of decide where to go from there. And that's what we did. I mean, I really just we started with a bar, which was probably the worst decision because it's the most crowded (laughs) category. And it was, you know, down year over year, double digit percent during COVID. But it was what was most true to my mom. Um, She eats a bar every single morning. We we have her give it up for Lent because she eats so many bars. And that's her challenge. (laughs) But she would take it with these vitamins every morning, Mm. vitamins that kind of her nutritionist and brain health doctors told her to take from lion's mane, ashwagandha, vitamin B12, D3, omegas, um, almonds, et cetera, et cetera. No sugars. They didn't want her to spike her, um, her insulin. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, let's just combine all these different things you're taking and let's just put it into a bar form. Let's make it so it's no added sugar. It's one gram of sugar. It has an ample amount of high protein, 12 grams plus let's have it high in fiber. Let's have all these different vitamins and nutrients in it. And let's try to make it taste good. And let's go to the market with that. And that's, that's how we did it. It does, by the way, really taste good. It also, there's something, it's like in between textures, which is what I really liked about it. It has like little, they're like almost crystals. crunchy bits or crystals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Um, yeah, well so it's funny. We we actually, man, we spent so much time and money on R&D. It was a really difficult time during COVID to do that because we weren't allowed to go to the the kitchens, the co-manufacturing right. kitchens. We couldn't go to the co-manufacturers. We couldn't work with the R&D specialists during that time. Cause this was like March, 2020. This was like the height of everything and like everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were starting to do it ourselves and we were trying to, you know, how do we make it sweeter tasting without adding sugar? Let's use the dates. And finally we got to a product that her nutritionalists and the brain health doctors didn't approve. And it Mm -hmm. had, it was a date based bar, but the dates made the sugar so high Mm -hmm. that the insulin was still spiking. So then we had to go back to the drawing board and then we had to utilize kind of some of the allulose and monk fruit, um, and some other kind of ingredients and new technology to help trying to make it a little bit sweeter tasting, but without the, the uh, sugar and without the insulin, insulin spike, uh, issues. And finally we did that. Um, but I mean, as you imagine, it's really hard to get these to taste great with all these different nutrients and ingredients in it. Totally. And fi- and finally we did. And, and that was the benefit of launching direct to consumers. We got to talk to our audience. We got to learn from them. What do they like? What do they not like? We've continuously made updates to the product. And now we have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of five-star reviews, thousands of subscribers and customers, over a hundred thousand customers. Um, so it's been a wild, great success. Um, and we're always continuously updating and making changes, but yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about D to C into retail plans. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network. 
Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Patrick Schwarzenegger, CEO of Mosh. Um, okay, so before the break, we were talking about you were iterating, iterating. You're in the middle of COVID. We've all been there. Um, you started direct, which makes a lot of sense, even though I'd like to hear more about your thoughts about the category. It does make a lot of sense. It's shelf stable. It's lightweight. It makes sense to sell a subscription. It, D2C is a, is a thoughtful way to start that. You obviously have some awareness building ability, you know, between the two of <laughs> you. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, and uh, you just did a fundraise. And part of that is um, to plan on some retail. I read that you're going into Equinox, I believe. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, you have seen enough. You've seen you know, there are a bunch of the brands that I saw that you invested in that started direct. You know, retail is a key part of this whole game for sure. Yep, yep. Um, so, you know, strategically, what are you thinking and maybe why? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this company as a kind of a, a multi-year build-out, right? If I'm looking at the business strategy from 10,000 feet up, it's what do I want to accomplish this year? And in year one was really proof of concept. So direct consumer made the most sense. We mm -hmm. really needed to learn from our consumer. What did they like? Why did they like it? What did they not like? And why did they not like it? Yeah. We did that. We accomplished that. Then the next year was really about how can we continue to grow our e-com platform? How do we really fix what we like to call as our leaky bucket, which was a lot of why were our subscribers falling off? How can we grow on e-com to Amazon and, and approach a wider audience? Mm. How do we continue to um, really build out our website and prioritize our subscribers and our AOV and our LTV and all these different things? And we accomplished that. Now, next year, which will be our year three, mm -hmm. it's about how do we go and acquire you know new customers in a, in a wider range? And obviously, retail is that landscape. Still, about 80% of our typical consumers are finding their new purchases or this type of a product in the retail landscape. Mm -hmm. um, and so the financial raise was really about how can we go and build the team and the strategy and go execute that, the, the baby steps towards that um, in 2024. And that was kind of what the raise was for. So yeah. um, how we're thinking about retail is, is really just starting in our backyard. I mean, really starting in Los Angeles. And, you know, that's why we're starting with our, you know, Earth Bars and Equinox and Air One. Um, we've gotten a lot of inbound interest from other 
retailers, but my kind of methodology is really starting small and just go, um, you know, hardcore in those different retailers and try to learn as much. Once again, we're kind of at that year one again of, uh, you know, proof of concept, Mm -hmm. but for the retail side now. And so, you know, we're going through a little branding exercise now to fix some of the branding stuff to appeal to the audience and be a more direct message. We're working on our pricing and our, our cost of goods and our margins to make sure that we're successful in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, all those different things we're going through now. So that's kind of our plans for next year. I mean, I would say we'll be in maybe, you know, over a thousand stores by Q4 2024. Um, but for me, it's really about making sure that those retail stores are working with us to educate right. the consumers about what the product is and why it exists and how do we make sure that they're sell throughout that, that, that store level. And then we, we can continue to grow and yeah. go from there. No, I mean, I really like the framework. I actually, I think your episode like 214, uh, I've been doing this since 2018 and I don't think anyone's been like year one is this year two is that it's actually like very helpful framework. I had um, a woman named Ellie. I'm forgetting her last name right now, but she need a need a memory boost. But um, <laughs> she, get a mosh bar. Exactly. She was with um, Kind Bar forever, and when she came on the show, she was talking about how when Kind first launched, they were in the pharmacy, and how hard they had to work to get out of pharmacy into like snacks. And I'm wondering if you guys are thinking at all about, you know, you you started the conversation with like, it's a really crowded category. There are people yeah. who, who I mean, I've had on bar people before and they've definitely said it's crowded, but not when you're looking for specific. Some bars are for anti-bloating. Some bars are for a snack. Some bars are for breakfast. Some bars are for protein. So, but I wonder if there's any thought to sort of go into, to think about, like, this is more about functionality, more medical. It's not your grandma's bar, you know, kind of thing, Um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to sort of being with everyone else. Like, have you, have you, is there like a merchandising yeah, that's that's discussion. part of the exercises we're going through now is you, you're right. And that's that's what our, our biggest problem is. But it's also the biggest opportunity mm-hmm. is how do we just not put our current product, current branding on a wall full of other products, you know, right. and there are retailers like CVS, for example, that are building out a brain health aisle or a section of their stores, you know, where they have now other supplements and it could be the bars, it could be that, you know, mm-hmm. right by the actual pharmacy where you know, that could be a cool place to utilize the the product placement there or yeah. do something around brain health. I'm not saying that's what our plan is, but that that's right. topics we've had. Um, you know, there have been other products that have had have revolutionized categories. And um, if you were to think of, you know, where would mushroom powders or where would, um, you know, jerky sticks or where would these little functional shots that are, mm-hmm. you know, good for the, the liquid shots for immune or whatever you know there's different things that you're like where did those things where would they exist and then they've made placement for them or the refrigerated section we're one of them so yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly Mm -hmm. so it's um we'll we'll see um but it's definitely of of uh in mind for when we're growing especially as we grow into multiple product lines that's the five-year plus vision is to to build out the brain a whole brain brand thing yeah no that's awesome okay we're gonna wrap up with one or two final questions. 
you said something about the leaky bucket. And I feel like every founder and operator should be able to identify their leaky buckets. And so I want to know what that, what, what kind of process did you use to try to really figure out where there were leaks in the bucket? And then how did you go about trying to fix them? And just like an example or two, because I I think that sometimes we, um, we don't look. And that, yeah. and it's actually a really important thing to do because it's the best kind of learning. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I I shouldn't take credit for this because it's not me. I mean, really, our our head of marketing uh, Tanner uh, Flitter has been amazing. I actually tried to hire him a couple years ago when we first started Mosh, and then he went to Super Coffee, mm-hmm. which was one of my portfolio companies, and then <laughs> we br- brought him back from Super Coffee when they were shutting down their online and going fully to Amazon. So he's been fantastic about looking at our, at our kind of, like I said, leaky bucket and really just trying to figure out why are people canceling their member, their subscriptions. Um, and really kind of implementing a survey as to why they were and trying to get as much knowledge about that, those answers, and then try to kind of figure out ways to address those. Yeah. Um, I know, I think it was Chargebee, or I can't remember the actual subscription uh, app that he put in there that basically allowed people to, to pause or to skip or to delay. That was a really big uh, implementation that, that reduced our uh, churn by a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the number one reason people were canceling was they had too much product. Yeah, I was going to num- say maybe that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just about addressing those kinds of, of people. And when they usually say they have too much product, you know, we sell 12 bars. So really they have to eat, you know, one every three days or one every other day or something like that. And so it was really about educating the consumer. How do we, how do you fit this into your daily routine? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why right now we're launching our plant-based line, which is kind of like your morning, your morning ritual reimagined, right? So we're, we're kind of positioning this plant-based bar with plant-based with breakfast flavors like apple oatmeal, cinnamon or Mm -hmm. banana bread as your morning ritual. So something that you can take every morning uh, with your cup of coffee or whatever. And so we give the customer a way of how they utilize it every day. And that hopefully then takes care of the problem of customers having too much, you know, product every month. Um, So that's just one example. Um, We've looked at, uh, you know, there's kind of a, uh, a point in the churn process where, where customers are most likely falling off. Like, mm-hmm. let's just call it at three months. We can make that up. Mm-hmm. So what are ways that we can get customers to uh, purchase for longer, whether that's offering uh, greater discounts if they pay for five months up front or six months or, hey, when it's at their third month, here's a bonus thing or um, so on and so forth. So we're really yeah. just looking about we had we had. We did not have a problem of getting a lot of customers to come in, yep. but we had a miniature problem of customers going off. And it yeah. was just about how do we address those? And he's reduced our churn rate by 50% in a year. Um, so it's been a dramatic change yeah. for our, our business. Now, I think it's awesome. And it's something that, you know, I certainly didn't know. I, I wasn't thinking about the difference between people coming into the brand and people staying in the brand. But whether it's like an LTV calculation on D2C or it's your velocities in store. The reality is, is that it's just really expensive to keep 
bringing new people into the brand if they're not staying there. And if they're not staying there, then it indicates that we're not really doing something for them that's making their lives better, you know? And I think a lot of founders go into this, I know I certainly did, not realizing that my goal is to be in someone's basket every week and right. to keep those people in. I I just, I had a, you know, I had, a, I didn't even realize that that was my consumer behavior. Um, so I guess what I'm getting to is for people listening, whether you're selling exclusively in store, online, on Amazon, et cetera, it's just really, really important to continually audit are people coming back over and over and over again and yeah. get that data. Obviously it's easiest when you are selling directly to them. That's why D2C is a nice way for a lot of brands to launch and do that learning. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, last question. Um, retailers, as you're talking to them, are you gathering any insights that you didn't necessarily have before? Like, are you finding them, um, like, it's interesting to hear that a major pharmacy might be considering making a whole new set based on brain health. That That's an interesting insight to know that, you know, it's, it's cool. Are you gathering other insights from retailers, either about just the industry in general or about the brand or about your category or maybe about where you might want to innovate? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Um, well, we, we, we haven't started the process necessarily of, of getting information from retailers about innovating, mm. um, because we've been really just focused on our bars right now and iterating on those and kind of trying to quote unquote, perfect those. Mm. Um, so the iteration of other product lines is in the future. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're continuously learning online and from retailers of what they're looking for, what's selling well, you know, like the four packs are a huge thing right now in retailers. Mm. So switching off the 12 packs or the individual bars, to four packs. Interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of gain in, in specific areas in the bar. I mean, low sugar is, is massive right now. Right. Um, and continues to grow. Um, pricing is, is tough, you yeah. know, with just with inflation and customers going, less often to the store. Usually their, their baskets are a little bit higher in revenue, but that's because product costs are up. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of gaining that information. Uh, but yeah, we're always looking at, at ways to utilize yeah. what, what information's out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You have a really nice sort of big picture of the industry. You you know, you have a lot of companies in a lot of different categories that you're looking at. I'm optimistic I mean, I guess I kind of have to be. This is my <laughs> job. But I think that this is like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of simplifying. There's, you know, some margin challenge. There's obviously less money going around. But I do feel like it's kind of forcing everything to get better in mm-hmm. a way. And I feel like those of us the companies that like figure stuff out and make it through this are going to be in a really good position when the, you know, tide switches back to, we need a bunch of innovation. We don't want everything to be private label. We don't, you know, we've got labor back in the stores. There's money flowing again. I would like to just hear you opine on that 
Do you agree? Oh, I well, I I agree and I disagree. I guess. I mean, there's there's definitely uh, it's definitely a a pretty pivotal moment in the CPG in the kind of just in the entrepreneurial landscape of mm-hmm. like. I think COVID was a a really hard but also wonderful time for a lot of entrepreneurs because they were like it gave them that reset moment of you know what we're all home or whatever we can start anyone can start a business anyone mm-hmm. can get it up on Shopify and they can get a sale within a day and it's you know it's really an amazing thing that that what Shopify and what the direct consumer landscape has has allowed people to do so a really tough time now i mean money was also pretty much free flowing. uh mm-hmm. yeah just completely flowing two years ago or three years ago and two years ago and and now it's just the reduction of 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 cash flow and and money going out the door to to early stage cpg companies is a it's going to be tough yeah um and we also had a really large problem with overinflated valuations a lot of people were in this game for the wrong decision mm-hmm. um and we're really just focused on valuations, and that's going to come back to haunt them and the company in a in a dramatic manner. Yeah. Um, so I think that yes, there are things that are that can be rosy, and there are things that are are looking up. I mean, consumers care more and more about health and wellness, and and you know ingredients, and we're seeing um, some really large scale wins in the in the better for you health and wellness space mm-hmm. um, out there. And we're still seeing some MA and, and acquisitions mm-hmm. from larger conglomerates. Um, so I'm very hopeful. I'm still very optimistic and, and bullish on the industry, but yeah. um, I just think it's going to be a really tough route for some early stage brands with the lack of capital coming in the door with the, um, the, the valuations being yeah. so kind of high. And you have to remember when I started in this 10 plus years ago, like you were saying, a lot of the areas have not been innovated. Mm-hmm. Uh, now a lot have. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying everything has, but a lot of people have looked at how can the cereals be updated? How can the PB&J be updated? How can the pizza mm-hmm. pockets be updated? How can the bars be updated? How can the, the you know, body washes, everything, yep. which is genius and it's smart. But it's just at some point in the near future, for me, it's going to be pretty tough to see how do we continue to to innovate mm-hmm. yeah and, and differentiate and and um and yeah it's going to be yeah. it's going to be interesting from my investor lens for sure yeah well this has been really fun i really appreciate you coming on really nice to meet you thank you i appreciate it and liam thank you for engineering as always and listeners thank you as always for all of your um notes and your comments and everything Um, It really does take a village to build a CPG brand. Um, And I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.